welcome to the all-new, all-different, number one comics podcast, episode number 24. I'm your co-host, Dan. Sitting directly across from me is Bob. Say hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. We are a weekly comic book review podcast where each and every single week, we take a look at a brand new first issue comic book, break down the story and art, and tell you if we think that you should move on to issue number two or not. We also talk a little bit of comic book and related news, as well as what's new at comic book shops this and next week. And this week we'll be taking a deep dive into Marvel's all new number one, Ultimate Invasion, the return of the Ultimate Universe. That's right, Bob. We're going Ultimate again. It's early, late, mid-2000s, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> We're going back to the Ultimate Universe, and I couldn't be more excited. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We are back with episode number 24 of the all-new, all-different, number one comics podcast. Bob, we're going to talk some news. We do have news this week. Screw James Gunn. We got our own news. We don't need him around here. There is something at least DC related, but (laughs) we may get to that later. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Um, Bob, I want to talk about the Craven the Hunter trailers. We got two. We got a regular wide release trailer, and we got this cool ultra-violent red band trailer. I think every movie is doing that nowadays. Yeah, definitely. Well, I don't know. I mean, I didn't see a red band trailer for, like, uh, Elemental or whatever it was. What was that Pixar movie that just came out? I think the big blockbuster (laughs) movies are doing that nowadays. I'm just saying, I mean, what's the point of a red band trailer if you don't have a bunch of, like, violence and cussing? I don't think Pixar is going to go for that. I mean, they could do like an alternate universe trailer <laughs> where just somebody's like, you know, shooting somebody in the face and yelling cuss words. That would be kind of fun. Who was the kid from Toy Story? <laughs> Andy? No, the very... Sid. Oh, the mean kid. Sid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just do an entire Pixar movie on <laughs> Sid. Yeah, I, I could see that. Just ripping like Barbie heads off and yelling cuss words and like, I don't know, flushing the toilet or something. Coming in Margot Robbie's house and just ripping your head off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Speaking of that, Margot, I can't wait for that. Bob, um, let's talk about the trailer. We don't have to break it down, but um, I don't know. What did you think with your – I'm not sure how much you know about Craven the Hunter. I know I've read the classic run. I used to have his first appearance, but I sold it off sadly. Oh. Yeah, I know. Big big L there. but um, I, I, I know enough. I did read uh, – Craven's The Last Hunt. Yeah, it's, such it's, a great book. Yeah, yeah it's been a hot story. minute. That's probably the seminal Craven the Hunter story. Oh, yeah, that's that's the one everybody everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I look, Craven the Hunter, obviously a, a big game hunter, and the biggest game that he wants is, is Spider-Man, so he becomes a Spider-Man villain and, mm-hmm. and all of that. That, that pretty much sums it up without going into anything right, else. You don't right, really need right. anything else other than that. Of course, Sony and their, I'm not sure what to call that verse, they're, they're not Spider-Verse, they're, uh, they're Sony-verse. Venom-verse? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, picked up uh, Craven the Hunter and wanted to do a Craven the Hunter film. This was kind of a shock to a lot of people, yep. along with Madam Webb and El Murto. I think that's... Yeah. Well, that's actually been taken off the I know that, that, Yeah, that, that was part of my news, too. Yeah, but um, but yeah, we can go ahead and cross that off. That one's, that one's gone. The Bad Bunny-backed project. Right. Or starring Vehicle. Um, but yeah, uh, 
this this trailer, I don't know, it seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. Of course, uh, we've had Venom, we've had Carnage and Venom, and then, you know, things like Madam Web and stuff like that coming out. So so it's not too, I don't know, far off that we get a Craven type of movie. Craven's a really cool character. I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to see this, but let's talk about it a little bit. Obviously, the casting, there's some cool casting decisions, maybe some that don't work for some people, but... We have Russell Crowe in there. That that was <laughs> that was a nice surprise, yeah. and it, it seemed like he does the just evil no morals guy. Yeah, very exactly. Well. Yeah, we've got him and and Bob. Who do we have uh, playing Craven there? So <laughs> we have Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yes, we've got Aaron Taylor Johnson. I don't Quicksilver know. himself. So we know what happened when Quicksilver got shot. <laughs> yeah, he. I don't know. Turned into Craven. Hunter. <laughs> um, yeah. What What are your thoughts on that casting decision there, and what you've seen on the trailer so far? Like, how do you think he's going to execute as Craven? For me, and um, I I spoke this opinion to you. Um. You know, I know Aaron Taylor Johnson. He probably got in shape for this movie. Uh-huh. I mean, that's that's the standard mo yep. for Marvel <laughs> yeah, role leading to. roles mm-hmm. nowadays. That you don't have to be named Chris anymore. Yep. So there's that. <laughs> but he just he just doesn't seem Craven the Hunter big. Yeah, Craven's kind of a, a pretty buff dude. If if you're not looking at a picture of Craven or you haven't seen Craven very often, I don't know. I mean, think like. I know, I know it's, I know it's supposed to take place. It's, it's kind of like a Batman Year One, mm-hmm. where he's not fully. Yeah, he's he's kind of the hunter. Into the role. Yeah, yeah, um, this, yeah, exactly. This, I mean, it's not proto Craven, mm-hmm. but it's just Craven trying to find his footing. Exactly, uh, but yeah, I I will say that I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm behind it. I think that it's. It's a good casting choice. I'm really excited to see Russell Crowe here and see what he does with it. I think that's a big get. I'm hoping I'm hoping they eventually, if they do do a sequel, mm-hmm. I'm hoping they give Aaron Taylor Johnson the facial hair. I don't, you know, just, I'm just throwing it out there. Of course, it's way too early to tell, but just based on people's reactions on the internet and anticipation and stuff like that, I don't imagine we'll get a sequel. I, I think this will be kind of like a lower tier thing um a lot of people probably won't even go to see it because there is that comic book movie fatigue and um i i don't know i mean it doesn't have the appeal that that's something with the more mainstream yeah Uh, of course this you know as you called it venom verse that they have going on over at sony is is it's pulling some deep cuts and and it's trying some things and i will say Mm -hmm. i i do appreciate that because I don't want to see the same thing over and right, over again. You and right. I were just talking about what, you know, my personal problems with Batman are, and and my personal problems with Batman aren't even Batman. It's really the Joker. It's I, I get tired of seeing the Joker. I get tired of the Joker. I just don't care enough about that character to see him all the time. This is his hot take for the show. Yeah, folks. a hot take. I, I need a hot take like sound effect, but um, <laughs> to throw there, but. But yeah, I, hot take. <laughs> yeah, do the do the cool like radio announcer thing, but. Um, yeah, I think that it's just, I, I really appreciate seeing some of these lower level characters or D list characters or something like that on screen. I like that we're given an opportunity to see them, even if they don't, maybe don't have the same financial backing that, you know, the 25th Joker or Batman movie might or whatever. (laughs) I'd rather see a, 
a different take on on comic books. Than right, and you would rather see thing. just somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many times are you going to tell me the same story over and over again where I can be interested? Now, I say that, but I do, I can appreciate, you know, the different iterations of Spider-Man that we have, but mm-hmm. they they just don't go through that same story over and over again. It's, it's something different. Um, it's not the same thing. You know, a lot of people felt that same way for the Joaquin Phoenix Joker stuff. I personally didn't. I just saw a boring origin story that didn't do anything for me. Right. But but I know a lot of other people really like that movie. That was so. more an art house Joker. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it, it just wasn't my kind of thing. But mm-hmm. we're not we're not here to talk about Joker. We're here to right. talk about Craven the Hunter. And and I, I think to break this down without going beat by beat, look, there's a couple of glaring things here. Obviously, one is Russell Crowe has that heavy Russian accent. Yes. Aaron Taylor Johnson, yes. not so much. He doesn't that's have my, much of that's, the accent. That's my biggest gripe. I'm kind of okay with it. I mean, I don't know where this is supposed to take place, but I mean, imagine you have like a immigrant parent or whatever, and then you grow up here in the United States. You're not right, really going to yeah, adapt much of the accent. So uh, second generation, I'm okay with. That. That's what I'm hoping mm-hmm. happens, and it's not like... He grew up in Russia, yeah, yeah. but he has no accent yeah, that, that whatsoever. Would be weird. Yeah, so hopefully not. And then the other big thing that we want to talk about here is that lion blood. Um, that's that's. I don't know. I haven't followed enough Craven stuff that's gone on more recently. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know more of Craven's origin and then Last Hunt stuff. There's not anything I can think that has anything to do with lion blood. I could see where, you know, bringing that into the movie as opposed to, like, some mysterious serum right, though, probably right. works a little bit better. Sure, it's more CG blood, and people are tired of that. And I, 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 d- I do think, you know, it might be one of those things where the, the whole serum thing has mm-hmm. been played out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how much more can you do with that without people just saying, hey, that's right. like a, you know, rip off of this or that or Captain America or whatever. Right. Um, I, I agree with you there. I think another big thing that is kind of a departure from the comics is, of course, Craven being that big game hunter. That's his whole thing. He likes to go out and, and hunt down big game. Mm-hmm. And while, of course, he's you know probably going to do that to some extent here, he seems like an animal lover instead of a, a he does. of a big game hunter. He so, does. So maybe they reinterpret that big game hunting as hunting for people. Um, and that's what it's looking like. Yeah, I, I got to say, when I think of Craven, I think of him, you know, sitting in his house with all the heads yep. mounted on the wall. Exactly. And you pointed out before we hit record here how you wanted to see that animal skin draped over right. his uh, shoulders right. like we see in the right. comics. And that, that might be the reason we're not seeing it here. He's an animal lover instead. He's an activist. So he's going out and hunting these anti-animal, I don't know. But then again, you know, like I pointed out, this is probably supposed to be a like a Batman year one, like a Craven year one. Yeah, exactly. Where it's him finding his footing. And, of course, we know people's outlooks on life change all sure. the time. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, maybe he he gets in. What's that one guy? There's, like, some some big uh, company who who's just a, the CEO is, like, a horrible person. And that's what he does. He goes out and, like goes to Africa oh. and kills like lions and giraffes and stuff. Is it the guy from yeah. Jimmy John's or um, Papa John's or something? But, some some, <laughs> yeah. some food conglomerate. Yeah, yeah, one of those places. Yeah. Any, anyways, we'll keep our political opinions to ourselves. But yeah, um, you know where we stand. But yeah, I, I, I will say just in closing about the uh, Craven stuff, 
I think this was pretty cool. I think it's pretty low stakes. It's pretty cool. That red band trailer is ultra violent. So I'm hoping that that's maybe the pinnacle of violence that we get there. And, and we're not going to see a lot more of it on screen. I don't want a Punisher Craven movie. Like I'm not, that's not really what I'm looking right. for in Craven, but I'm down for a different interpretation. Uh, moving on to our next little bit of news, Bob, we actually went to the movie theater yesterday and saw a movie. Like, I think Who does that's, that anymore? Yeah, it's pretty damn mind-blowing, especially for me at least. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been in a while. I think the last movie I saw in theaters was that final Jurassic World movie. So it's, it's I'm been sorry. quite a bit. Oh, man, I love every, every, everything <laughs> Jurassic Park related, other than Jurassic Park 3. I'm a huge fan of. So, you draw the line at that. Yeah, that, that one was bad. I, I just can't hinder, handle Tia Lee. T. Leone, what's her name? T. Leone. Oh, man, I can't handle that lady. Anyways, hot takes aside. Just uh, say David Duchovny's wife. <laughs> yeah, sure, there you go. Um, we saw Spider-Verse. We, we saw, did. Bob, we give me the correct title. It's spy, It's uh, Across the Spider-Verse. Okay, Across the Spider-Verse. I didn't want to mess it up, but I, I did anyway. So anyways, we saw Across the Spider-Verse, the sequel to the uh, first Spider-Verse movie. Into and, the Spider-Verse. Yes, Into the Spider-Verse. And... Yeah, we went and saw it yesterday. We don't have to talk spoilers here. Um, we're, we've already got a pretty packed episode anyway, yes. so we don't have to hang on it too long. But just initial thoughts maybe um, and anything that stood out for you. Uh, I can go first if you don't want to. But Oh, I, th I, thought, I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's slightly below the first one, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's one of those both movies could be one or two. It mm -hmm. just depends on the person. Yeah. And they nailed all the cameos. Oh, God. They, see, that's the thing. They're so good with fan service they in are. these Spider-Verse movies. Like, they do it. It's not it's cheesy. Very it's very subtle. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're in there and it's packed. But It is. But it's not fan service for the sake of fan service. I mean, it works with the plot very, very well. And then they bring in these different animation styles. And and I want to say this, for as many spider characters as we got in this movie, because it was a lot of spider oh, yes. characters. Oh, yes. And a lot of new ones that we hadn't seen and everything the else. The computers like, were working overtime. <laughs> exactly. Everybody had a voice. Yeah. Like, they had an individual voice. Yeah. And I just, I think to have like a huge ensemble like that, even if a lot of them are cameos or whatever, that's usually what gets drowned out. Like it's mm -hmm. usually the voices mm -hmm. of the individual mm -hmm. characters yep. that this one's too similar to this one. So they didn't have, everybody here had a very, very unique voice. So if yep. you're looking for that in your animated ensemble cast movie, then this is definitely the one for you. But I agree with you as far as your rating. I wanted to give it like a day to kind of think about it before I assign any rating to it right. even if it's just one in my head or whatever and while that first spider-verse movie i i'd give it 11 to if i could um but you know on a scale of one to ten it was absolutely a 10 the top of uh, this i i would say that and winter soldier and infinity war and endgame are flawless movies like i can't i cannot find anything wrong with them um this was probably more of like, if we're going comic book grading, this was probably more of like a 9.6. This was really, really insanely good. Um, I think that it just suffers from there being one before it. So if this was the first one to come out of the gate, right. it would probably be a 10 all day. Right. And I would say that we spent so much time in the like multiverse of it all. That it left me wanting a little bit more from uh, Gwen Stacy's personal journey in her universe 
versus her in the multiverse. I think that's the only thing I can take away from it. I just wanted to see a little bit more of that. I want to see Spider-Gwen play with the Mary Janes and, and have a concert or something. Like, I want to see a little bit more of that. Yeah, and, you know, I will say, at least for me personally, I don't know how you felt about it, mm -hmm. but to me, as far as emotion, this was definitely superior to the first one. Oh, no man. pun intended. Yeah, absolutely. I did. Yes, it's superior. I like that. <laughs> I kept hoping that the like cool uh, group of like girls sitting next to us didn't see the tears rolling down my cheeks every every ten minutes. I, I like, had a, a I had a few here and there <laughs> yeah. too. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, um, but yeah, they're very very good at at this. And of course, I don't think that it should be a. It, it's not a spoiler, but you went into it not knowing that it was going to be broken into two parts. Um, I knew there was going to be a third. I yeah. just didn't know that. Yeah, you didn't know it was going to be left on no, a cliffhanger that no. it was left on. So. Again, not really spoilery, but <clears throat> you know, this is this has got. I mean, there's so much more to tell here in the same mm -hmm. oh, exact yes. story, not just the same universe, but in this story. So, I cannot wait for that next movie to come no. out. I'm gonna be there. I'm not gonna wait like a week till after it comes out. I'm going opening day for that <laughs> one, and I can't wait. And I will be there in line. So, yes. so we can move on from that, so we don't hit any spoilers. But just know. You are going to absolutely love this movie 100%. Um, we already went over Sony removing the Bad Bunny-led planned film of El Murto from their slate. So we can skip over that. My last little bit of news, I know you got something you want to get into. So I will just say my last piece of news is on September 19th, we are getting a Dan Mora Batman Superman World's Finest cover Starring Nicolas Cage as Superman. So, we, <laughs> yeah. Um, so go ahead. It's and finally sure coming true, folks. Early orders in through Lunar, <laughs> and make sure you get that. Oh man, that I can see that going to the Killing Joke printing. Man, I'm just telling you now. I don't know how many copies I'm getting, but I'm going <laughs> to get Nick Cage to sign that thing. I'm gonna find him. We're, it's look before we're done with this podcast which we're not going to be done for till we're like 60 or something but anyways before we wrap up my goal is to have Nicolas Cage on this thing to talk to us about comic books <laughs> he will be on the show and I will get him to sign that cover with him depicted as Superman can I see your action <laughs> comics number one Mr. Cage <laughs> yeah please can I just hold it for a second <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a vampire I'm a vampire I'm a vampire but yes uh, Bob you had a little bit of news you wanted to talk about um, not a whole lot of news. I just wanted to, um, I just wanted to say that, um, in case you haven't watched it, uh, Secret Invasion number one started today. Yeah, this the blew my episode. mind. I, I, I'm really anticipating it, but I didn't know that it came out today, so. Yes. Oh, and a bit of disappointing news that I read, and I'm, I don't know if you've read it or if anybody else has heard of it, but apparently before the whole flash bomb <laughs> debacle oh, man. there was going to be a batman beyond starring michael keaton wow so yes. a live action batman Beyond. yes Jeez. a live action okay. batman beyond so we've wasted that in the flash which right again so divisive i mean i'm hearing such mixed so, things oh, so very divisive i had i told you and i won't name drop anybody right now but i had uh a uh, a friend of ours a mutual friend talking about the flash today and i will say that this is what you know he got 
hey, have you guys seen The Flash? And, you know, and, and, and of course the people replying are like, I haven't seen it yet. And he goes, it was cool. It was good. It was fun. That was all the inflection that, uh, it so was, that's not a promising review there. It was bad CGI. <laughs> yeah. And that coming from somebody who, you know, really wanted to like the movie and really wants to like the DCU. So, right. yeah, we hear such mixed things about The Flash here right now. But of course... I guess everyone's just going to have to figure it out for themselves if they like that or not. But uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get into some new books that are out this week. Which is going to be very sad. (laughs) And we are back with the Harry Potter podcast episode. I'm just joking. Bob and I were just talking a little Harry Potter off air. Let's wave our wands and forget (laughs) he ever said that, folks. Well, if it works that easy, then please. Uh, (laughs) Let's get into some new books that came out this week. From Image Comics, we have Tales of Suspense, number one. That's right. It's not that Tales of Suspense. This is spelled S-Y-Z-P-E-N-S-E. It's two tales of suspense. I'm not sure what the gimmick is, but I'm excited to read it. Over from DC Comics, we have Wonder Woman issue number 800. Oof. Yeah, uh, first appearance of another, uh, I don't know, Wonder Woman daughter or something. We've got Batman Superman World's Finest issue 16, Bob's favorite new character. New How many Mezo. did you pick up? Man, I, I, I've got a couple of long boxes, you know. <laughs> what can I say? We've got Titans issue number two, Blood Brother Becomes Brother Eternity. Definitely going to want to pick up a few long boxes of that because I'm sure that'll be worth something. Uh, we've got the Vigil number two with some new members. Over to Marvel Comics, we got a new volume of Incredible Hulk issue number one. I'm hearing really, really good things about this, especially coming from that last disappointing Hulk run uh, that was in between this and Immortal Hulk. This could be a change of pace. We've got Cult of Carnage Misery number two with the first appearance of Madness. Edge of Spider-Verse three. Spider-Boy's identity finally revealed. We've got Miles Morales' Spider-Man issue number seven with a new armored suit, as well as Iron Man Dragon Slayer armor and part six in Carnage Reigns. Scarlet Witch annual number one. Bob, a book that I cannot wait to read. It's got a prelude to Contest of Chaos where Agatha Harkness attempts to build a new Darkhold. And for all you Bobs out there, we've got The Mandalorian Season (laughs) 2, Issue Number 1. First appearance of Cobb Vanth. Yes. Oh, wow. I can't believe I said it right. I said a Star Wars name right. That's right, kids. Happened again. Make sure you take your shots now. That's one of the easier (laughs) Star Wars names, so I'm hoping you got that right. Hey, I don't know, man. I I would think I could mispronounce Bob Smith if I tried. Eh, Possibly. (laughs) Yeah. Over from Archie Comics, we had Chilling Adventures Presents Camp Pickens, number one. Still not getting that one. Oh, man. I've got a copy right here, actually, with this nice Francisco Francavilla cover. And I can't wait to read it because it's got friend of the show Tim Seeley writing a story in it. So can't wait for that one. Very excited there. Uh, from Boom Studios, we have Wild's End, number one. And from IDW, Godzilla, Here There Be Dragons, number one. I don't know what the hell kind of uh, <laughs> sentence that is or title, but I, I'm here for it. So An old-timey sentence where yeah. they used to use here and thou and they. <laughs> well, it's got a cool Godzilla. I don't know. It looks like he's about to pluck this it ship off the cool earth. It is a cool cover, yes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. It sounds like a lot of fun. Those are some of the new books that are coming out this week. Of note, we're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back... We're going to go over our review of Ultimate Invasion number one. 
we are back with episode number 24 of the all new, all different number one comics podcast. Bob, we are going to talk about Marvel Comics Ultimate Invasion number one. That's right. The Ultimate Universe is back and we're going to talk about it here on this very podcast. So let's go ahead and read the synopsis from Marvel's site. The transformation of the Marvel Universe begins. Again, I yell it because it's all in capitals <laughs> with an exclamation point. You've got to yell capitals. You Superstar creators Jonathan Hickman and Brian Hitch team up. The Illuminati must form once again to stop the maker from his plans to destroy or perhaps rebuild the universe. With Miles Morales at the center of it all, Brian's work on the Ultimates helped redefine superhero comics for the 2000s. Wait until you see what he and Jonathan have in store for this decade, including new data pages by Jonathan Hickman, plus exclusive behind-the-scenes material on the world-building that's gone into this project. I can't believe that synopsis. That's really all they led with. I mean, there's so much that happens in this book. There is. And they really don't reveal anything in that synopsis there, but that's cool. Really. I completely understand that that's the way they want to go. But then again, how many books that we've reviewed have this synopsis added up with the uh, book? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It's... it's <laughs> Slim to none. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. Um, let's talk about Jonathan Hickman for a second. So... If anybody doesn't know who Jonathan Hickman You've is... You've been living under a rock yeah, I for the past 50 I, years. Yeah, I can't imagine. Maybe this is your first time even hearing about a comic mm. book. But um, <laughs> Jonathan Hickman, of course, is an American comic book writer and artist best known for his creator-owned series, The Nightly News, Manhattan Projects, and East of West, as well as lengthy stints on Marvel's Fantastic Four, The Avengers, and New Avengers. Other notable works include The Shield Limited Series, the creation of the Fantastic Four spinoff title FF, as well as two crossover series, Infinity and Secret Wars, both of which he acts as centerpieces for the company-wide crossover storylines. Between 2019 and 2021, Hickman worked on Dawn of X, a relaunch of various X-Men-related titles for which he provided the core storyline and concepts. I'm reading that from Wikipedia just so everybody knows. <laughs> I, I didn't write that one myself. That's why it he sounded could, so it, nice and smooth. He could have written it himself. It's <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia. I mean, yeah, I guess you don't know. So, I mean, why not? <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, uh, of course, Jonathan Hickman, huge. I mean, to sit here and go over all the things we'd be that here forever. Hickman has done we'd, or all the be here awards. Yeah, just know... Jonathan Hickman, I I don't know if I want to say he left Marvel for a short amount of time, but he kind of left Marvel for a short amount of time. Just Dawn of X and and House of X and Powers of X and all that stuff. Just it it kind of like he kind of had to like soft wrap it up because it just wasn't hitting what was expected. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if that was on his end or on Marvel's end or whatever. But I thought that everything in there was good. I really liked what was going on. But I think maybe it was a little too convoluted for some people. I mean, right. Jonathan Hickman, that's that's how he writes. That's how yeah, he, he does. builds these entire, entire universes and really lets you live in them. So it's not like a quick, you can just pop in and out on an issue number two and then know what's going on. Right. If, 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 and if you haven't, um, definitely read his run on Avengers. It's... It's a fairly lengthy run, but oh, yeah. it is so good. Yeah, um, yeah, just some some really really big stuff in there. Again, there's there's no way for me to go over all of it, but but know that East of West is a really huge book for him. Um, 
And then he's just done so much stuff over at Marvel, so much stuff with Fantastic Four and really fleshed out a lot of Fantastic Four for people like me who, I mean, I can't say that I dislike the Fantastic Four, but I'm not super interested in them right. until, you know, maybe somebody like him or, or creators like Mike Allred are on the title. Or you see Jessica Elber on the big screen. Well, I mean, yeah, I'll take that all day. But um, yeah, uh, very, very cool creator nonetheless who's who's done like a lot of really awesome stuff mm -hmm. over at any any publisher that he's worked for including his his own stuff so let's talk about brian hitch for a second um also gonna quote from wikipedia here because again just such a huge body of work it's a little hard to write this up myself this time but brian hitch is a british born Artist and writer, Hitch began his career in the United Kingdom for Marvel UK, working on titles such as Action Force and Death's Head, of course everybody's favorite uh, UK comic Marvel book, Death's Head, before gaining prominence on American titles such as Wild Storms, Stormwatch, and The Authority, DC Comics, JLA, and Marvel Comics, The Ultimates. That's right, Brian Hitch has been heavily involved in the Ultimate Universe already, so definitely somebody who might be a good idea to bring back over to that. I think he, I think he was pretty much involved from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Brian Hitch has absolutely been around. Of course, I was talking about the authority and, and Stormwatch and all of that stuff. So if that takes, if that doesn't take you back, then I, I don't know. I don't know what will, but yeah, just know that, uh, Brian Hitch has, has contributed a lot to the comic book community and, and definitely a lot to the ultimate universe here. Uh, one of the things that I really would like to talk about with Brian Hitch that might kind of solidify his what he does in comics for you. If you remember the DC book that came out a few years ago, I want to say like four or five years ago at this point, Batman's Grave with Warren Ellis. He was the artist on that. And I mean, that's just it's such wonderful, wonderful artwork there. He's just is, is a really big presence in that and and just does some amazing stuff on there. So. He also worked with uh, uh, Al Ewing and Ram V on Venom. So if that says anything to you, both of those books, just really outstanding art. And then, of mm -hmm. course, all of the stuff he did in the Ultimate Universe as well. But let's get over to my synopsis really quick. This one, Bob, I tried to keep it as short as I could. It's a little long. <laughs> this, is a, this is a book. I mean, it this is. is a big book. It so is. it's not going to have that short of a synopsis. <clears throat> Ultimate Invasion begins with Chapter 1 titled... Good artist coffee. We see a masked up and heavily armored team of four headed to the Blackguard building for what seems like some kind of heist. Then we learn as they, uh, sorry, as weapons are fired that they're going to a holding cell to retrieve something worth a billion dollars. We then see the maker as he sits naked in an inescapable holding cell. The maker does what he does best and leaves with an amalgamation of bodies and leaves a copy of his behind. Later, Reed Richards and T'Challa search through the remnants of the Blackguard building and they are led to the maker's made-up version of himself. We see some more awesome body horror and Reed reveals <clears throat> his worries about the maker's plans. Next up, we get the Illuminati as they discuss what they know about the maker's moves after the escape. And here we go, because the Maker has been around. Uh, he stole Vibranium from Wakanda. He stole four inhuman Terrigen Spheres from New... Bob, you're going to have to help me with that name. New... 
I don't know if that was a typo or not, but I've always heard Attilian. Yeah, me too. And it looked like it was just spelled a little differently. Archillian. Yeah, Yeah, I thought Attilian also, and then I was a little confused by that. Um, He also stole Reed Richards Bridge from a secret Stark warehouse, a mutant gateway, and an immunity lance from the Sanctum Sanctorum, as well as a a dilution shield from the ruins of Atlantis. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, who knows what word I'm trying to say. Uh, They assume he stole the items to be noticed by the Illuminati. Next, the Maker shows up in Brooklyn at the home of Miles Morales and offers to take him with him and tells Miles that they're brothers. Miles declines, but the Maker leaves behind a business card if he changes his mind. We flash to the Maker using his homemade gateway to travel and the Illuminati trying to stop him. He protects himself with a force field they can't penetrate. And as he steps in, he asks Reed that if he had the chance to erase him from existence, would he? Reed says yes, and the maker responds with the line, I'll keep that in mind. Lastly, we see the epilogue chapter, which is titled Great Artists Steal. And we see the famous scene where Peter Parker is on his field trip and bitten by the spider. But the maker stops the spider, smacks the spider off Peter just before it bites him and puts it in the test tube. And that is the end of our comic, other than some uh, line work that we get in the end of the book there. So, Bob, this was a big issue with a lot going on. It was. But let's break this thing down. Of course, it's kind of in chapters, so the beats might be a little different for us to to go over. But how did you feel this worked overall as a story with those beats, even though it was kind of contained into a couple of chapters there, or maybe a few chapters. Right. Did it move along nicely for you? Were you able to understand everything that was going on? Is there anything that you thought maybe didn't work in the story or should have been taken out or added in? I thought it flowed perfectly, <laughs> yeah. beginning, middle, and end. I agree. Um, this is where I would say, you know, Jonathan Hickman really excels in telling a story. Right. He really knows exactly and a pretty flowing story at that yeah he knows exactly where to go and he knows how to like tell you just enough but leave you wanting a lot more mm-hmm. but you still feel satisfied with what you read that's got to be a task in writing to to know that hey i'm gonna throw all of this out there and you're still gonna be like shit well what happened here but you're gonna want to know and it's not it's not like you feel like you're missing something so yeah i feel like these beats work very very well Let's go into the narrative then. How did you feel about the narrative of this book, that overarching narrative um, that kind of tells the story there? I'm going to go ahead and say again, an A plus for me. It works so well. The narrative of the story really works. I I was a little hesitant at first. I'm not going to lie to you. When I opened the book and I saw the heist thing going on and Mm -hmm. I was like, what are we getting here? I don't want heist agents. I don't want this. And then none of that mattered. Whenever the maker just took over those bodies and, and and threw all their DNA together to make whatever he needed to make to get out of there and then made that horrible, horrible uh, <laughs> uh, body hoarder. Cronenberg's uh, monster. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this narrative works really, really well. All the characters' voices work really, really well, especially to throw everybody in this book together. Um, well, definitely, definitely the biggest thing for me, and I'm sure it was the biggest thing for you, 
this book is a little more dialogue heavy than yep. some of the books we've reviewed. Yeah, it, oh, yeah, it definitely is. But it doesn't get bogged down by no. exposition or the dialogue itself. Yeah, not at all. And it, it really works with the book very, very well. You needed all of it in there to tell the story, but it wasn't. And, I mean, that's Jonathan Hickman for mm -hmm. you. You know, he's, he's going to tell the story um, through dialogue, absolutely. The art stands on its own already, so it's not a problem with the art or anything. It's not that it takes away anything from that, but but it, he definitely is going to tell that story through the characters' uh, points of view and everything. So there's going to be a good amount of dialogue. It wasn't bogged down. You are completely correct. I I wanted to read more whenever I got to the end of the book. I was kind of pissed that it ended. I, I, I can't say that I'm not happy with the little Easter eggs that we got, or not Easter eggs, but with the added bonus content in the back of the book. Um, but damn, I wish they were just more pages. I wanted to see a little bit more of that uh, yeah. Peter Parker, uh, what was going on and all of right. that. I wanted to see... The ramifications. Yeah, so I mean, just the cliffhanger on, on that is so wonderful. And I have a bad feeling, knowing that it's Jonathan Hickman, that he's not going to start off issue number two with that. He's going to circle back around, and we're going to have to wait to know what happens in that universe, which drives me crazy. But that's okay. It's still really, really good. So let's talk about the dialogue then. I already said right at the front of the narrative, all these voices worked well. Um, and you you kind of said it's dialogue heavy. There's a lot in there. We agreed that it works for the book, though, and it's needed. So I think he captured everybody's voice very, very well. He's good at writing these characters, and he knows all of them well enough. And I, I will say not only – well, I'm a little bit biased because <laughs> I love the character and the yeah. maker. But yeah, speaking, of, speaking of dialogue and voice – Hickman does a great job of making the maker one of those you want to slap him in the face because he thinks he's the smartest person in the in the room. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. And then putting him right up against Reed Rich Richards and then the voice that that Hickman provides for Reed Richards cuz he's really good with that character as well. And that's got to be, you know, obviously there's got to be some nuance there because of who they are, but um yeah, I, I think to pit them up against one another as the smartest guy in the room and everything, that's got to be a task. And then to give them both individualized voices. And then the maker asking at the very end, if you knew what you knew, would you erase me <laughs> yeah. from existence? Oh, no God. hesitation from Reed whatsoever. Yeah, a big yes. <laughs> yes. And then he says, what, what's the line? I'll keep that in mind or I'll remember that or something. Just, yeah, just snarky and just yep. wonderful. Just yep. a, a really good way to put it. So how about the world building then? we Look, we get the uh, the Blackguard building. We get the um, just the little snippets, the few panels here and there of, of Atlantis, of the Miles, St. Miles Room. Yeah, of Brooklyn, Miles Room right. there, of, of everything that's going on. I love all these worlds. They're... They're already very lived in enough to where we know what's going on and we don't have to mm -hmm. flesh them out anymore and, and right. we feel like, you know, it works very well. But um, but I feel like the world building in this comic actually, you know, it really works. Again, it's going to be kind of hard to critique Jonathan Hickman on world building because that's what he does. So if he's not world building and if he doesn't know what he's doing with building a world, then I mean, this and would be an fail. Yeah, so uh, Jonathan Hickman definitely excels in that. So I, I think the world building is also a 10 out of 10 here. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go over to the art. Let's talk about Brian Hitch then, because we've said a lot of nice things about Jonathan Hickman. Can we do the same thing for the art? Uh, does it 
Does it fail on some uh, regards? Let's find out. What did you think about the characters? We had so many characters here. We have the Maker. We have Miles. We have secondary characters. We have the SWAT team. Yeah, exactly. We have the so secondary many characters. The Illuminati. Yeah, we've got everybody yeah. in the Illuminati. We've got Reed Richards, of course. We have all the cool like body horror that takes place with the oh that yeah, yeah the body horror <laughs> thing was creepy for me. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say yes. Brian Hitch on all of these characters. 110 percent dude he delivers like yep. he leaves nothing um behind here and and it works very very well just and he details oh yeah he details the hell out of it i mean just look at that little portal that the maker creates and then like all the i don't know like vineage and roots and stuff i mean e- even it, like, even at the very very beginning where the swat team is breaking the maker out uh-huh the uh, one of the henchmen throws a black hole yep. grenade. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it's it's not like, okay, this might be what I think it is. <laughs> you know it's a black hole grenade. Yes. Yeah, it, man, just, he really, really excels with these characters. Really, really knows what he's doing. Brian Hitch, such a, such a good get for this. And, and of course, we already knew it was going to be because of all of his experience mm-hmm. in the Ultimate Universe. Right. But, yeah, just wonderful. So how about the locations then? Uh, again, we get a lot of locations here. We get Wakanda. We get the Sanctum Sanctorum. We get uh, the little, you know, or, or, or that room that uh, the Maker's built and everything. We get his holding cell, which just looks phenomenal to me. I, I think these locations work very, very well. They're fleshed out. They look wonderful. I don't know. I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that, but, man, they work for me. You said you said everything <laughs> I was thinking. Yeah, that absolutely works. Uh, look, this this only has a couple of places where it's even a possibility to fail, and that's the backgrounds and the colors. So let's talk about them. Do they deliver? Does does uh, Brian Hitch deliver on these backgrounds? I'm gonna say yes, 110 percent again. The backgrounds work very very well. They're highly detailed. Um, you can tell what everything is. You can tell what he's going for in these different worlds and different places and and yeah he doesn't leave anything on the table with these backgrounds see and you knew he was you knew he was gonna kill it because you've seen his interpretation of the ultimate universe before (laughs) exactly so you knew what to expect yes and and yeah he just nails it look i'm gonna we're gonna go over to colors but of course i didn't um write down the colorist as as we always forget to do and the this book opens and then you know, you read like a good, I want to say quarter of the book almost before you get into the, the page with all of the credits here. So mm-hmm. uh, this is also inked by Andrew Curry. And then let, let's talk about the colors for a second. Uh, Alex Sinclair. So, yeah, I want to say Alex Sinclair just, man, for me, oh, man. the colors yeah. thrive in this book. Yeah, they, they definitely pop. I mean, yeah. they definitely pop where they should they're definitely muted where they should uh-huh. yeah this is a team this was an it all-star was. team to put together i would honestly say if if this book fails for anybody i don't know read it again because you missed something i'm not sure right. um i did you know my two reads as i normally do and my first one i was blown away and i was really excited to read it again write down my synopsis everything works here and it works so well together this is just the highest recommend I could give a book. This is this is one of the easiest reads. Yeah, I've had in, I've had. 
It's got some awesome, awesome variant covers as well. Oh, yes. I would oh, say, yes. you know, to tell you the truth, if I'm going to pick out any flaw, if I have to throw out a flaw there, I'm going to say the flaw is the regular A cover that they went with. I think the art's wonderful and it looks great and the colors pop and everything. It's just a little bit boring of a cover. And I think yeah, that they could have With the characters on the front. Exactly. I think, you know, some of the variant covers just really stand out for it. Right. I'm talking... Uh, you know, I've got the uh, Negative Space Miles Morales variant here. I think it's a really good cover. That that, that one's pretty cool. Um, I picked up the homage to Ultimates number one. Yes. I, I cannot remember. I'm sorry. I can't remember who the artist is on that or else I would um, tell you who the artist was. But, I mean, yeah, exactly. that, that does such a good job of recreating the original cover. Yeah. Oh, it does. It's wonderful. And then I'm also holding here the... Uh, the foil variant. Yes. Um, I I don't think it's any type of incentive. It, I think it's, it's just a, a foil beautiful variant, cover, though. Man, you got Miles just swinging through the city there. You got the buildings behind him, and then it's all just foil, yes. and it's got that ultimate invasion, that ultimate logo on top. Beautiful. And it's so book. good. I think that one of the better foil covers. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, look, I was happy to pay fourteen dollars for that cover. It just it, this is already a nine dollar cover price book, hmm. so it's up there. But damn, is it worth it? Uh, you will not be disappointed at all in this, in this cover, or uh, sorry, in this book, <laughs> or or the cover. I don't know, but um, but yeah, the the highest recommend I could possibly give to this is just, man, you are, you are gonna be very very happy with this. The, That's uh, all the, I can say. The only critique I have about the art, and uh, I mean, this is nothing big at all. <laughs> uh -huh. This is very personal. It was just. I hadn't read an Ultimate comic, of course, in years, yeah, like most other, too, like yeah. most other people. But it took me a minute to remember. Okay, the Ultimate Universe. Brian Hitch likes his close-ups. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he likes those. Where those a panel and... will be filled by somebody's <laughs> face. Yeah. But I mean, again, that's not really much of a gripe at all. No, no, it absolutely works. Um, One hundred and ten percent, it works. So. And it, it, I, I like it because, again, we're being brought back to this thing that whether mm -hmm. you hold it in high regard or not, I mean, at least if you remember the Ultimate Universe. Um, it got kind of convoluted at the end. Yeah, sure. But you're being just brought right back into it. Now, we have a lot of the Miles stuff. We didn't really, you know, we don't really talk too much about the, I don't know, spoilers in the story other than our synopsis and everything. But I just want... You know, just think for a second about the ramifications, you know, what the maker's saying there about Miles and how they're brothers and everything and how Miles ended up in the Marvel Universe and, and where he came from here in the Ultimate Universe and Ultimate Fallout. And just, man, um, I just, this really makes me feel something. Maybe maybe it's because we just spent so much time with Miles yesterday in the Spider-Verse movie. I don't know. But Possibly. I was just, I was very happy and very welcoming to see Miles here and, and to just to think the possibilities of, of what could be happening here in this, whether, you know, Miles is going to end up the hero of this, whether he's going to end up a partner, uh, just anything could happen. So I'm really, really high on this book right now. And again, I have to say, we don't normally attribute any type of rating to a book other than just move on to issue number two. Yes, I can, uh, I can absolutely say 158,000%. I cannot wait for issue number two. I, I, Bob, you can say it in your own words, but I feel like you feel the same way. Oh, I definitely feel. <laughs> and I, I was, I was kind of skeptical going into yes, this yes. because 
again, I knew the Ultimate Universe mm-hmm. got very convoluted at the end. Bob, can I tell you a, a small secret? Yes. When we spun the wheel last week and we landed on Ultimate Invasion, I thought to myself, damn, I was hoping that we would end up on Hulk number one because I'd rather read that. Um, but God, this would have been such a missed opportunity because to it tell you the truth, in, in all honesty... I, I, of course, would have bought the book. You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a Marvel number one. Right. I'm not going to pass those right. up ever. But it probably just would have sat in my stack of unread stuff and then got filed in a long box and then never read. Um, and damn, I just that uh, that universe where I didn't read this book, I, I'd be very pissed off at myself. So I'm very happy that we. Yeah, there's, this there's, there's actually a uh, guy I work with. Um, I won't say his name. <laughs> But I actually recommended this because he's he's more of a Star Wars fan. Like, mm-hmm. he picked up that Star Wars Empire one shot. Yep. But I told him, hey, if you're looking to actually read the comic, read the Ultimate Invasion. Read Ultimate Invasion because the Ultimate Universe was created so people new to the comic industry or comics in general could get on board and not have yes. to remember all that 60 years worth of stuff or whatnot. And it was such a great, you know, at the time, I mean, I don't mean to just sit here and sing praise of the Ultimate Universe or whatever, but but I remember when with those coming out, and I remember just going to, you know, back to Spider-Man and reading Ultimate Spider-Man number one through, you know, whatever. I mean, I got into the the high 60s before I stopped reading it, but... um. But just reading that, every issue that came out, and it, it felt so good, and it didn't feel like your typical reboot. It was just done in a different way, and it was so accessible for new readers. You really could go in and pick up that issue number one and not need to know anything at all, and it just really worked. And I feel like you can do the same thing here. Um, yes, you might want a little bit of history on the Maker, on the Illuminati, on Reed Richards, on uh, Miles Morales, but... If you don't have any of it, I mean, this tells you everything you need to know. It's just an added benefit if you do. Um, but yeah, I could see somebody who doesn't read comics or who isn't very familiar with Marvel or the Ultimate stuff picking this up and really right. loving this. I, I honestly can't see anybody picking this up and not loving it. Uh, it's It's got to, at the very least, be higher than just a, yeah, this was a good comic. You know, this was a really really great comic and this is why i love this is a perfect example of why i love reading comics the original ultimates was one of the biggest things that got me back into comics exactly yeah it just it just made it so accessible and there was so mm-hmm. much less history mm-hmm. there was so much less of that crossover i didn't i didn't everything. read i didn't re- need to read 403 issues of the avengers yep. to figure out what was going on yeah exactly you could have you know read richards you could have uh, fantastic four and stuff make appearances but you didn't need to know any of that lore from their you know books or anything like that i, I don't know so just such a wonderful thing that came out at, at such a perfect time and this is a great reintroduction to that and i'm really really happy that the wheel landed on this and i'm really happy i read the book so um i'm gonna shut up now but just know <laughs> that uh yes bob and shut i up, will continue on to issue number two and this was a wonderful book i need i need, I need like a light yeah exactly that they use at the oscars <laughs> Quiet time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to the all new, all different, number one comics podcast. This is episode number 24. We have a huge, huge creator online right now ready to talk to us about 
some really awesome stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Raphael Albuquerque. Hello, Raphael. Wonderful to have you here on the all new, all different number one comments podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Thank you, Dan. Hello, everybody. <laughs> yes. Very, very excited to have you on. Uh, for anybody who maybe is living under a rock or, or whatever, and isn't familiar with Raphael, which I can't imagine anybody wouldn't be. Raphael Albuquerque is a Brazilian comic book artist, illustrator, whose uh, work includes Batman New 52, Batgirl, Detective Comics, a really long run on Blue Beetle, um, uh, Vertigo Comics, American Vampire with Scott Snyder, and then obviously some did some illustrating work for Stephen King on there as well. Uh, Animal Man, Huck, a, a huge, huge book, Huck, one of my absolute favorites. I, I, I still can't believe whenever I go back and reread that series um, that I'm sitting here talking to you right now, somebody who worked in that series just kind of blows my mind, uh, as well as Hit Girl, uh, Prodigy. Um, and let's talk about some awards really quick. Uh, Raphael has, is a winner on uh, 2010's IGN Best New Series Award. Uh, 2011 Eisner Award and a 2011 Harvey Award, as well as a 2018 Inkpot Award. So very, very acclaimed uh, <laughs> artist here, huge creator, Raphael. I don't even, there's not even anything else I could think of to say. You're just uh, a really big get on this podcast. And I, I know our listeners are super grateful to be able to hear your voice on here. And Bob and I are very, very grateful that you came on. So I just wanted to go ahead and lead with that. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us. Yeah, so really excited to have you here. Um, I've got some questions lined up for you, and Bob has a couple too. But I just, you know, sitting here looking over the awards, I've got to ask, how does it feel to be so acclaimed and, and win that many awards? Uh, I think it's flattering and unexpected <laughs> for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, um, not someone who really. Uh, I think I think it's really nice to win an award and be and getting the recognizement, mm -hmm. but it does have. Um, how can I say? Uh, it's. It doesn't mean more than that. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. So, uh, it's really good for the ego and really good, you know, for the attention and it's flattering. But it doesn't really change anything. Mm -hmm. So you know, I'm happy for that. I'm 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 grateful, but that's it. Yeah, I mean, I I can imagine it's just like an added benefit that comes along. But but knowing that you're so acclaimed, knowing that uh, so many people, you know, recognize your name, and then of course are able to seek out your work and everything, just has to be a really honoring feeling, like something something really cool, like a really surreal experience to know, you know, something that you created uh, is, yeah. is that highly acclaimed that that people passing out awards are like, this guy definitely deserves one. And then and then four times at that. So really, really big accomplishment, I think. So I want to talk about your art some. Uh, how did you, of course, we're going to go back like as far back as we can here. I don't know. I don't know when you started creating art or when you got into to illustrating or if that's how you began. But how did you get into art and at what age and, and kind of what inspired you to get there? Um, I think since I was a kid, I always liked uh, art and I, I always liked uh, drawing. Mm -hmm. um, and my father used to have, a, on the 80s, we were talking about that, and my father used to have a small uh, advertising company. Mm -hmm. 
and I remember being a kid and being in the office and I remember, you know, flipping all the art books and checking all the art around. So that was around me pretty much when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that influenced, influenced me into, you know, be part of it and do something with that. Uh, but I think, you know, um, I really got into that when I was a teenager and that was in 1996 uh, or so. Okay. Uh, when there was this boom of Brazilian uh, comic artists like, such as Roger Cruz, Marcelo Campos, mm -hmm. uh, they were like becoming big names in, in United States and and that was a time without internet. So when my generation looked at, at, at these guys, that was very inspiring and make me really wanted to, you know, go after that. Yeah, and like you said, there was almost like a, a renaissance at that time with Brazilian artists kind of coming out. So I could definitely see how that would inspire you. How did you get into to comics then? Or or did you know from early on that that's what you wanted to do? Are you are, Were you a comic book collector first before you got into uh, illustrating comics? Or did it, which one came first for you? Not much of a collector, but I always mm -hmm. liked superheroes from TV shows and, uh -huh. you know, big fan of Batman 66 uh, and Super Friends, all these things. <laughs> yes. Uh, Who doesn't love that? I'm old very old, yeah. <laughs> no, no I, I love that, though. That that stuff's really cool. Uh, like you said, Batman 66. Look, one of my all-time favorite artists, not not that you're not one of them, but um, Mike Allred is like, you know, oh, yeah. the top of my oh, list. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about Mike Allred, but uh, of course, he's heavily inspired by Batman 66 and Absolutely. he's had the, you know, the honor of doing some some of that uh, Batman 66 uh, newer stuff that's come out. Yeah, um, yeah, I heard that. yeah I, I really, I really love artists with a very unique style. Of course, you know, there's place in the world for everybody, for artists uh, who, who kind of have like a more house style for artists who, who have like a very unique style for artists who are big on watercolors. You know, there's room for everybody out there. Your art's pretty original as well. I, I mean, obviously you're not, doing the 60s pop art like Mike Allred or or really, you know, those kind of crazy watercolors like somebody like Bill Sienkiewicz or something, but your art is very unique as well. Like you can look at a Raphael Albuquerque piece and say, that's Raphael Albuquerque. You know, it, it has a very distinct feel to it. Right. Um, I wonder how you developed something like that, um, how you kind of came into your own on it. Was it something that that took you a while or were you always like a pretty original artist? Um, I think a mix of both, maybe. Um, when I started, I was probably looking for a more house style thing. If you look at my Blue Guido stuff, that was my mm -hmm. first DC thing, mm -hmm. definitely more squared in a way. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, but that was not natural for me, even mm -hmm. at the time. That was something I was trying to push. Okay, because, uh, I think I'm an artist that was kind of living this transition into a a more open and kind of crazier art style. Mm -hmm. And that was in the industry, I think. And when I had the chance to do American Vampire, that was more like, I think before that I did some uh, indie comics and there's this particular one called Mondo Urbano. So mm -hmm. an indie comic I did with Santo Loco and Eduardo Medeiros back in 2010. Okay. It was slightly earlier than American Vampire and 
it was very experimental. Mm -hmm. And in there, I had the chance to, you know, just go, uh, uh, you know, uh, how can I say it's loser, maybe more, yeah, uh, yeah uh, having a, a more, um, yeah, a more loose style, doing something more gestural. That's what I mean. I mean, mm -hmm. more gestural style. And, and that kind of uh, was fun to do. And I, I really like it how it came up. So right after that, they invited me to do American Vampire. And they were looking for someone who was able to, to switch styles because of two uh, different uh, uh, arcs, uh, Stephen King and Snyder's. Uh -huh. So uh, I decided that um, I should just do something more the way I want it. That mm -hmm. was a good opportunity. And that's when I started to do some ink washes as well. That was my very first time doing that. Really? And at the end of the day, kind of became a trademark in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's how it it, it happened. Uh, yeah. It's kind of natural, but in a way, it's also an answer um, on, you know, trying to do something different than what was going on at the time. Yeah, I can just imagine. I mean, this is coming from somebody who can't draw a straight line at all. So uh, you'll have to excuse me there. I'm, I'm, I'm very much an art appreciator, but not someone who can, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, critique art. But I will say, you know, developing that very unique style, I would imagine that you kind of like hit a point where you just feel like, you know, you're kind of cruising. You're like, damn, I found my my niche here in my art. Um, this is kind of me and I'm going to do my best to, you know, grow this. Like th this is my own thing. Um, you were talking about Blue Beetle. I think back to some of that and that was part of, I believe that was part of the new 52 run, the Blue Beetle stuff you did. What's that? That was even before. Oh, it was before? Okay, okay. Yeah, a little before. Um, but yeah, you did a pretty long run on Blue Beetle and Look, I'm not going to lie. I've never been like a huge Blue Beetle fan. It's not that, you know, anything's wrong with the character or, or, or whatever. It's just not something that I ever got into until I knew about your arc on it. And then, you know, went and and found some of that stuff and looked it up. And And I'm a huge fan now. Uh, I really love your, your work on Blue Beetle. And I see what you're saying where you had this very unique style that was probably a little bit darker than what was maybe, you know, asked for or whatever in, in the project, but you, you kind of revamped what you were doing a little bit and made it a little bit more, I, I'm not going to say DC house style. I mean, you definitely have a more unique style than anything anybody else at DC house style really does. But, uh, but I can see where you kind of adapted yourself to that project to, yeah. to make it work. Um, and it's just some outstanding work. I can, I can definitely say, you know, for any of our listeners out there, if you've not checked out, Raphael's work on Blue Beetle, it's its outstanding. It's something that you're definitely going to want to see um, and to really appreciate that. i That's one of the questions I had. Of course, I'm going to go off of off script here and, and just uh, ask a little bit uh, about this. But, you know, with Blue Beetle coming up with the Blue Beetle film coming pretty soon, and then also, I don't know how this is going. I don't know if you have much information on it or not, but, but Huck being uh, optioned, to Netflix back in like 2017 or, or, or whatever it was. 
I mean, for one, that has to be the most surreal moment of your life, you know, that you get an email or a call or whatever. And they're like, hey, we're going to adapt some of your work onto, you know, the big or small screen or whatever for for the entire general audience, you know, to see that's got to be insane. But how does that feel? Did you have much of a role in any of that? Uh, were you asked for any creative input or anything or were they just like, hey, we're going to adapt some of your artwork uh, onto the live screen here? Unfortunately, these emails never come. Okay. It's like you just—I uh, have no idea what they are adapting on Blue Beetle movie or okay. or even news about Huck or anything mm -hmm. like that. So I all I do is hoping to see something I did on mm -hmm. the screen eventually. But um, but you know, by the other hand, I try to keep my anxiety low. So yeah. <laughs> just believe when it happens uh, <laughs> so there you know i'm just a guy who's going to to watch it and you know i'm excited about all these happening for sure but um it's not something i you know um being anxious to too anxious about because it can be frustrating oh yeah, yeah. i can imagine yeah just we never know to right? get to that yeah that's um that's that's super cool i can imagine uh you know whenever you go to the theater or whatever and see blue beetle for the first time e even if they don't adapt anything that you directly did mm -hmm. just knowing that you've worked on that project and then uh seeing that on screen is just gotta oh, yeah. be super surreal I, i'm very excited and Another cool thing is that there's a Brazilian, the, the, the lead actress uh, is Brazilian. Uh, Bruno. Yeah. Uh, so here in Brazil, there was a big free song about the movie just because of her, because she's very famous here. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a movie that people are talking about. Um, yes. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm very excited. Everything I saw was pretty cool, pretty solid. I'm mm -hmm. very happy for Cully. Uh, who is the designer of the character, the, the creator? Uh -huh. uh, for Keith Giffen, um, they are super good friends, and I I was very uh, I, I was pretty um, you know pretty pretty happy for them to see their their stuff being adapted, and of course I'm I hope to see something I did on the screen. But, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you know, I, I keep my hopes low. That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. Well, I can definitely say it looks like a really cool movie. Uh, Bob and I are pretty, I, I we're pretty notorious for, for being like Marvel fanboys. Um, it's not that we don't like DC, but, you know, uh, a lot of our listeners have pointed out, you know, hey, you guys talk about Marvel stuff in your news a lot. Where's all the DC news? And and it's not that. I mean, every time we review a DC comic book, we've done the, the newest incarnation of Superman. We did a Harley Quinn miniseries. We did the uh, DC Silent Tales that you actually did the uh, the B cover for um, uh, that came out, of, I think that was about two months ago. Um, but yeah, every single DC book that we've reviewed here on the podcast has been the highest of reviews. We've loved every single one of them. But, um, but I can say, you know, cinematically, I mean, some of the movies haven't really worked for me or Bob, um, but this one looks really, really cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm highly anticipating Blue Beetle. I think it looks like just a low stakes uh, movie. It's not trying to get the entire world of DC there in that single movie and everything. And it's just, it's a fun adventure with that character. So uh, looking, 
really, really looking forward to that one. Um, and talking about uh, that, that helps me segue to my next question. I want to talk about incentives. You've got a few big incentives out there. Uh, we definitely like to learn a little bit about that process. Uh, you know, just thinking about Thanos 13 incentive that you have, the one in 25, as well as the Star Wars Thrawn incentive that you did the cover for. Is that something that... I'm sorry, uh, something froze here and I couldn't understand okay. what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just talking about incentive covers. You, you've got a few big... Yeah, you've got a few really big incentives um, credited to your name, like Thanos 13, the 1 in 25 incentive you have for that, as well as Star Wars Thrawn. Right. Um, how did those come about? Is that something that you... Uh, pitch the idea for did marvel come to you and ask for an yeah, incentive they cover yeah. they came to you wow yeah. that's just that's gotta Sometimes be a huge genre there's a store who uh orders them mm -hmm. and so it's specifically for a store or you know uh a chain or something like that mm -hmm. uh, store sometimes it's a marvel thing mm -hmm. sometimes just uh just like uh i did a deadpool one for and i actually just did an avengers one as well Oh, very for cool. GalaxyCon. So they have uh -huh. the new book uh, with Mike over done spe specifically for the show. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think that's pretty cool. I love doing that. And especially because I don't have much work at Marvel. Uh -huh. uh, so I have at least the chance to do to draw the characters on the covers, which is always really fun. Yeah, I imagine that's really cool. I don't know if you... Uh, frequent conventions a lot or get a lot of uh, do a lot of commissions or anything but I always imagine that that's really cool when I go to a convention and I see a creator and then they you know are able to sketch something they wouldn't normally have done on a on a blank cover or something like that I, I always imagine that's really a, a cool feeling um, yeah. I always have this idea in my head to get like an some kind of infinity saga book you know whatever it is with uh, man thing on the cover holding the uh, or, or wearing the Infinity Gauntlet. I always think that that would be really cool. So I'll have to find you at a convention one day and, and commission you to do that. But That'd be cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do I do uh, attend some conventions. Uh, since mm -hmm. I'm in Brazil, it's not that easy. Uh-huh. Uh, but I tend to go, you know, to three, four a year, something like that. Sometimes in Europe, but mostly in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, I do a lot of Galaxy Con. Uh, yeah, uh, and they are really good partners, and they all always invite me, which is really cool. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I try to do that, and every time I go to a con, I I I try to do as much as commissions as I can because uh, recently I don't have I'm working digitally now, so mm -hmm. it's harder to get original art for me uh, from me. Uh, so. That's a way to get, you know, new stuff. Uh, I mean, commissions is a, a good option for, for people who want to get new art from me. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably the only way because everything else is digital now, unfortunately. Yeah. In this <laughs> yeah, understood. So, look, that that's a good opportunity for me to bring up my next question then. There's, of course, a lot of creators, a lot of illustrators and artists um, have a... a you know, an opinion about AI artwork. That's something that's out there in the ether right now. Of course, uh, either people are utilizing it as a tool or it feels very threatening to a lot of creators, feels very threatening to a lot of people in the community. We just learned today, actually, that 
the credits for Secret Invasion include some AI generated art. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I just learned that today, which uh, kind of blew my mind that, you know, somebody as big as Marvel, uh, rather, you know, whatever their intention was, um, just to not include an actual creator in on that and use AI is just a, a, a little, I, I can't think of the word for it, but it just, it, it's kind of amazing to me, but uh, I, I won't say positive or negative, slap but it's just, in the face. yeah, a, a little bit of a slap in the face to artists and creators out there. But uh, what do you see AI as? Do you see that as, as threatening um, what you do? Do you see that as maybe a tool that can be used for good as well? Uh, and, and, and what are your thoughts on it? I, I am one of these people who thinks it's a fantastic tool. Could mm -hmm. be a fantastic tool. I yes. think the technology is brilliant. Uh, everything I saw is like amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. However, with that said, I think it's very dangerous for workers. Uh, yeah. it, it should be, uh, as long as it's regulated and, you know, creators, uh, you know, human creators have their... <laughs> their rights and their talent uh, represented and, and, you know, paid and, you know, mm -hmm. compensated. I think that could work, but use it the way it's being used. Mm -hmm. It's very dangerous for the whole industry. As you can see, probably some, you know, character designer was not hired because Marvel decided to use a CGI, uh, EI, Thing yes. or new series that's that's bad i think that's bad you know exactly you, it might yeah. be cheaper for them and i understand this side but definitely this this product was based in human work mm -hmm. you know because the machine learns from from actual artists yep and, mm -hmm. and so it doesn't seem fair for me uh, and the same with every everything else. I mean, mm -hmm. Chat GPT and stuff. People who are writing mm -hmm. writing scripts on 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 this kind of technology. I mean, I, I don't mind if uh, I don't think it's hurtful if you use that as a tool to put your own ideas out and you know using as references and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's fine for me. It's not actually uh, you know. Uh, taking the human from the process for, from the creation process. But when you just, you know, write a sentence and, and sell it, it's, it doesn't seem fair with people who actually work it out that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. And I completely agree. And I think that that's why I wanted to bring it up, especially with, you know, somebody like you, somebody who, uh, what I assume, I mean, you create for art for a living. So, uh, so, mm -hmm. so that's probably kind of your jam there and that's how you get paid and everything. Yeah. And, and to utilize it as a tool. Yes. I can, I can see how that would be beneficial. I could see where, you know, I, I wasn't involved uh, enough in comics back whenever something like Photoshop or whatever was coming out. I could assume that, you know, maybe uh, people were met with the same kind of, uh, I don't know, anger or whatever towards something like that. Like, you know, where, Hey, all the tools are right there. So how are we going to do it on paper now? You know, now it's people doing this on computers and everything. Yeah. And, um, and that was probably a scary thought too, but now, you know, a lot of people obviously use it day to day for their work and, and still get paid and everything. Now, yeah, when you talk about, I'm sorry, but there's a big, no, please. Bad yeah, yeah, sure. the humans mm -hmm. on it. I mean, uh, 
uh, I have never had a problem with people creating. I am drawing digitally now, mm -hmm. and it's, yeah. still, it's still a human being drawing that thing on a screen uh -huh. than a paper. It's different art, probably. Uh, mm -hmm. You can emulate uh, watercolors and whatever. That's fine. Yep. Uh, you are using that as a tool to express your creative creativity. Mm -hmm. The problem with uh, AI is that you don't need the human anymore. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. I can see where, you know, no, sorry. Um, some people are trying to say, you know, that maybe it puts a basic idea out there and then you still need the human to kind of like sharpen it up or, or fix things or whatever. And, and again, I'm, I'm not a proponent either way. Like I, I, the last thing I want to see is anything taken away from an artist. I think that what you guys do is, I mean, it, it's something I could never imagine doing. And, and I'm someone who appreciates art so much that I need it out there, but I need the personalization of it. I like art because, as I said before, I'm a huge fan of of your work, of Bill St. Cabbage, of Peach Momoko, of Mike Allred, you know, these people who are very distinct artists who that's not something you can recreate in AI or in a lab or whatever. That takes your personal touch to get a, a, a Raphael Albuquerque piece out there. And I feel like that's what we need in the comic book community. So so yeah, if we're looking at taking away from from creators like you guys, yeah, I, I can't stand for that. And hopefully you know, this isn't something that moves forward, uh, much like, you know, you talked about chat GPA and, uh, and, you know, we talk about deep fakes just every day on the internet. Now, you know, where can that technology possibly bring us? Uh, it's scary to think, you know, what might, might become of that. But um, again, like, I, I don't want to sit here on that forever. We could talk about that all day, but um, I just did want to get your opinion on it. Um, Absolutely. I definitely want to move into the territory of, and this is probably a weird question, so it's fine if you don't have much of an answer for it. Are there any create or sorry, are there any characters or publishers that are like that are kind of off limits for you? I, I know you've done work kind of all over. You've worked at uh, Image, at uh, DC, at Marvel, um, whatever. Uh, is there anything where you're just not interested, or if somebody were to throw you, you know? like a like a valiant exo man of war miniseries or something you know like yeah, would probably, you be opposed yeah. to something like that I, I is there anything there, that's there are many things that i wouldn't do because mm -hmm. that i don't feel it's it fits on my views or my style or even my will to draw uh -huh. um, i always every, everything i i do i'm part of it i put some passion on it uh -huh. so if it's just you know a shitty project i probably wouldn't take it even yeah, if it's something you can't get put your heart into yeah, yeah. Uh, of course there are projects that you might not it's not the project of your life or something like that mm -hmm. uh, there's kind of a balance between um you know uh compensation slash you know will to do that uh, uh -huh. and I balance that i choose my my projects with with care, you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, there are probably many, many things that <laughs> I wouldn't do, or or even I don't think I'm a good fit for it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when it comes to publishers, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. Probably, um, I heard that Dynamite was having problems back in the day, mm -hmm. and I I didn't want to be there. Although I have done stuff in the past without knowing that. So, I mean, but companies change their owners, their <laughs> all their the time, whatever, <laughs> yeah. and sometimes the culture changes. Mm -hmm. I, um, 
you know, I think it depends on who you were working with more than, you know, the company itself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can completely get behind that. I think a lot of times that, you know, people forget that uh, a company is like a, a big faceless corporation or whatever, but, but a lot of times, you know, there's that CEO or, or that yeah. owner or president or whatever. And then, you know, sometimes they come out with their personal views and then they don't align with yours or whatever. Uh, that happens a, a lot over here in our culture. Of course, there's a lot of times where people are very extreme in their views and they don't line up with ours and we have to kind of distance ourselves from their, their company yeah. or products. So there yeah. are definitely people I wouldn't work with. Uh -huh. and that's all i can say i, I won't say names but, no no we wouldn't expect uh, of course not much yeah. more than companies <laughs> i would say people there's a lot of people i wouldn't work with mm -hmm. yeah and oh, i can for no reasons <laughs> yeah yeah i can completely completely get behind that i know bob can too uh i want to talk a little bit look i i know you've probably talked ad nauseum about american vampire i know <laughs> it's been out there and i know you're you're well documented on on talking a lot about it i'm just going to ask you a few questions about American Vampire sure. and, and feel free to elaborate as little or as much as possible. So um, uh, on American Vampire, you illustrated 30 of the 34 issues in that first volume. Um, so how does it feel to have like so much of your blood, sweat and tears poured into that project and then to turn it over to another artist for, for a few issues and see their interpretation of kind of like your baby and what you created? For me, it's super cool, to be yeah. honest. I think uh -huh. there's part of me that's heartbreaking because I'm super controller. <laughs> and if I could, I would draw the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. every you know, I love Eduardo Risa and what he did in 100 Bullocks. He actually drew 100 issues. Yes. Every one of them. And I love that. I wish I could have done that. But... But I'm a human and he's not. <laughs> so, uh, as a robot. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's a robot for sure. Uh, no, I'm yeah. I love him. Uh, what I'm saying is that, but but I but by the other hand, I love to see uh, artists that I admire uh, interpreting my my characters. I mm -hmm. love to see that. So you know. Uh, there's a heartbreaking one side, <laughs> but it's really fulfilling the other way. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, look, I play music, so a lot of times I'll equate things, you know, to music or whatever. But I can just imagine, you know, you, you've created this really cool piece of music or something, and then you're out at a bar and you hear, like, another band play your song. Like, it's got to be such yeah. a cool experience to just know, wow, you're doing the thing that I created. Um, it has to just be really cool. And you know what? Uh, what do you play? I play drums. Oh, that's really cool. My wife yeah. plays drums too. Oh, that's awesome. Guitar, but yeah, it's very cool. It's like, uh, I love music. And if mm -hmm. I wasn't a professional musician and had a band, I would probably love to see very different versions of my music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That works the same uh, with, with Comet. I, I'd like to see what creators I admire bring to the table and things that I didn't thought of and mm -hmm. they, they you know i'll probably steal them eventually <laughs> it's it's pretty cool to see different interpretations of what you you came up with yeah absolutely i i just imagine that that's got to be such a cool experience um so speaking of a uh, american vampire then i i do want to ask i watched the I watched the Thought Bubble panel that you and um, Scott Snyder did just pretty recently. I think I saw it about three or four weeks ago. Um, 
a little bit before you and I had originally talked, I think. Uh, and what stood out to me is where Scott talks about how Vertigo or, or, or maybe it was DC overall, I'm not sure, but at least Vertigo uh, wanted him to audition a bunch of different artists for the project and how you were kind of the first one that came in. Like he saw your, your pieces that you illustrated for the characters there for, um, I, I think you did Pearl first and I, I can't remember the two that you did, but you did Pearl and you did someone else. Uh, Skinner, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the two mains and, um, and he saw your work and he was like, no, stop, stop. We don't need to see anybody else's work. This is the guy here. Like I just, I think that that has to be such a just very cool, and I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but a very cool surreal experience. Um, and and I'd like to know where were you in as an artist at the time? You you talked a little bit about how you adapted your style for Blue Beetle, and then you kind of came into your own after doing like an indie comic over there in Brazil and everything. You developed more of your style. So where were you as an artist at, at that time? Because you obviously blew. Scott Snyder and everybody else, you know, including me away. So how do you feel like you were in your art? Do you feel like you, you kind of like reached your pinnacle? Do you feel like you're still uh, progressing? Like where, where did you feel like you were an artist whenever you came yeah. on to that book? Uh, I was in this transition moment. I was mm -hmm. drawing Blue Beetle at the time. And I okay. did all three issues of Superman and Batman, mm -hmm. still trying to emulate this house style as much yep. as possible. And I saw an American vampire an opportunity mm -hmm. to actually, you know, do whatever I wanted. And I did. I just tried to be as more gestual and try to, you know, do brush, brush strokes and all that, you know, uh -huh. all over it and be a little more, I mean, a little less controller about the art itself and, the line <laughs> uh -huh. and stuff and, you know, see where it goes. And on the end of the day, that, definitely shaped my my art style and my signature on that so yeah that was definitely the project i was in need for and yeah that. no and very cool and we needed that so i'm i'm super happy that's out there i'm really happy that you got onto that project uh i know bob has a question for you bob's got like a listener question for you about american vampire <laughs> so i bob go ahead and chime in about that <laughs> so a question from a listener early today. Do you think American Vampire has a future without Vertigo? Without Vertigo? Uh, well, American Vampire was one of the projects that started at Vertigo, but keep uh, and Black Label. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I could say that. Uh, we don't have anything planned, you know, to go on or, or we don't want to make promises. Uh, but we definitely think about, you know, coming back eventually. We want to. I don't know if we will, but we want to. Uh, however, if we do get back, it's going to be in the same universe. But we understand that that story was told. Mm -hmm. um, so it would be something new if we do. That's yeah, and you guys, I mean, you're completely right there. You, you guys definitely, like finalized that story it has a great uh beginning middle and end and yeah and it works wonderfully even in the subsequent volumes and everything just a, a really really cool story obviously a fan favorite um we all you know can fanboy out over american vampire any day uh 
look, one last question about American Vampire. I'll move on to, to the last few questions so we don't take up too much I, I more just, of your time. Just say one little thing about that. Please, uh, please. But, but before we do that, uh, mm-hmm. we, we have other stuff going on and we want to collaborate yes. in different projects. Uh, mm-hmm. We are right now collaborating Duck and Cover, which is a yep. comic book that's coming out, uh, Comixology. And mm-hmm. so uh, not doing uh, American Vampire doesn't mean that me and Scott are not cooking up stuff together. We, are, we have this amazing partnership and mm-hmm. we are very excited about Duck and Cover and more stuff in the future as well. Yeah, I was just, look, that was actually one of the questions that I had written down. Um, I had seen a little bit about Duck and Cover. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about it. I don't know how much you can bring, uh, you know, how much you can talk about or whatever, but uh, I noticed that the the art is is very cool. It's, it's a, it looks like it's going to be a very different take for you, um, something, yeah. something that we haven't seen from you before. So I'm really excited about that. Of course, working with Snyder again, uh, you know, who who wouldn't want to work with Scott Snyder again? Because the dude can tell a story. He's he's awesome. And then your visual aspect of it just really rounds that out. Um, thank you. It, is there no thank you? Is there anything that you can tell us about Duck and Cover? Do we just have to wait and see? Or it's a little bit of waiting and see, but okay. it's a it's a story that it's it's also horror, mm-hmm. but a different take on it. Uh, I would say it's more like. Remember those movies in late 70s and early 80s that had some horror and sci-fi mixed up? Oh, yeah. Uh, lots of Spielberg influence, lots of, you know, um, who else? Uh, Robert Zemeckis, all these yes. kind of feels. <laughs> uh twilight zone stuff like that so so now you're in my wheelhouse if you're talking about twilight zone come on (laughs) yeah (laughs) so that's the tone of what we are doing um it's a group of kids uh who magically survive to this nuclear bomb destroying Mm -hmm. their city and they ducked and covert behind (laughs) the desk the story happens in the 50s where Cold War is going on. Yep. So they, you know, among this craziness, they have to figure out how uh, how they survive it and why they survive it and figure out what's going on outside. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> no, I mean, look, that, that's amazing. <laughs> that sounds great. And I, I really can't wait to, to read that. That's definitely an issue that Bob and I are, are absolutely going to be covering on the show. So we're, we're very excited about, I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there without Bob's permission. Uh, we're covering that one on the show. So very excited to, yeah, very excited to go over that whenever it comes out. Um, so just a couple more questions for you. Again, we don't want to take up too much of your time and I know we're already on the long end of it here, but uh, I, I definitely like to know um, again, this is kind of an odd question. Uh, so, so, Feel free if you need to edit it down or don't have much of an answer for it. I know you've already been at some very big projects. You, you've worked on Detective, uh, you've worked on Batman, you've worked on Blue Beetle, um, and there, you know, some some long runs and some of those, of course. If you had like a dream project over at one of the big two right now, you know, where you had to work on an, an established team or character, um, you know, whether it be for you know somebody over at Marvel or or something over at DC that just is a dream for you, what would it be? You know what? This is a. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's not that odd. People mm-hmm. ask us that a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there are many. Uh, I think 
do dream projects where you can, as a creator, put your input on. So yes. I think I, I, I'm definitely uh, um, inclined to, you know, answer Batman, Batman project or something. And mm -hmm. I am currently doing that. You know, I was, I just did detective. I'm coming yep. back eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, so this, this is one of the dreams happening. I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think what I really wanted to do eventually is, you know, uh, doing a mini series and tell my own story or, you know, mm -hmm. collaborate more closely to creating the story as well. Uh, and, you know, there are many characters, many, many co-creators I'd like to, to work with. Uh, but uh, my dream project for real is not on the big twos. It's, Stout Club, that is my my imprint in a way. It's a comic production company. Uh, and so nothing compares to do your own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm having a whole lot of fun doing that. So that's all I can Amazing. say. Yeah, well, hey, that's that's a hell of an answer. So yeah, I can I can imagine just having all that creative control and input and, and doing exactly what you want to do has got to be the dream job. So yeah. very cool that you're able to do that. Listen, Raphael, I don't want to take up too much more of your time again. Um, we we really appreciate you coming here and talking to us. It's been absolutely amazing. And to use that uh, same quote that I've used throughout the uh, podcast here and talking to you, this was a super surreal experience for me and Bob, just to be able to sit here and, and talk to you and ask you questions. It's been our absolute pleasure to have you on here. And I know our listeners greatly appreciate oh, being able to hear pleasure. from you. Yeah. So uh, please let, let our listeners know where they can find you. Um, what, what uh, of course you've already talked about duck and cover, but let's go ahead and, and, and push that one more time to make sure everybody knows you know, to go out and check that out whenever it comes out again. If you don't have the date, that's fine. Just know that that's up and coming. But, um, but yeah, please I, let our listeners know where to find you and and, and all of that. Uh, I'm mostly on Instagram. I'm not mm -hmm. very active there, but <laughs> I'm looking at it eventually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so my Instagram is Raphael Albuquerque eight one. Okay, eighty one. Um, you can check Stout Club. That is my company. Uh, there's also a lot of new projects, not just by me, but you know my co my collaborators, my co-creators, and my partners. Um, what else? You can definitely check Best Jacket Comics from Scott and his profile. That I need to check SS number <laughs> or something. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's and Comicsology. They are really good partners with mm -hmm. Scott and both us from Stout. They are releasing a lot of our projects and. You're really good. Thank you, Comixology. That's all I can say. Awesome. Well, Raphael, again, thank you so very much for coming on and talking to us today. Uh, greatly appreciated. And everybody listening, you are absolutely 100% going to want to go out there and check out Duck and Cover. Even when you just see that uh, promotional art for it, it just is going to blow your mind. So we're really looking forward to that. And again, thank you so much for coming on, Raphael. Greatly appreciated. And it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you very much, okay. Bob. And you. You know, congratulations on, on your podcast. And thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Thank you. Hope you have a good day. Come on again anytime. Thank you so much. Anytime, yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Bye. 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 
we are back with the all new all different number one comics podcast episode number 24 bob why don't you talk about some books that are coming out next week and as always disclaimer time disclaimer time <laughs> some of these books will not come out I mean, if they're from Scout because Comics, of they probably won't. Scout's reliable. <laughs> About <laughs> two that. weeks from when they're supposed to come out there, but they're reliable. Sure. So, and as as always, these are just some of the books uh, that I'm reading from a specific app. So, there's going to be more books that come out. Just these are these are the ones of note. So, from Boom Studios, we have Creed Next Round Number One. A sequel series featuring the daughter of, I don't know what Adonis. that name is, and her boxing career. Adonis or Michael B. Jordan, if, oh, okay. you, if you prefer. Some great movies, by the way. Yeah, haven't seen them. Uh, again, yeah, haven't you, seen a Rocky movie since Rocky One. So. Yeah, you, you were definitely missing out because they I are. So. I guarantee you will not try to watch it seven times. <laughs> oh yeah, nothing can be worse than that. <laughs> I agree. From Marvel, we have She-Hulk number fourteen. That one's got the origin of Scoundrel. Yes. Whoever Scoundrel <laughs> may be. Somebody fun. I mean, Han, Han Solo was a scoundrel. Yeah. Maybe they're doing a crossover. <laughs> and Shield? Yeah. From Marvel, we have Amazing Spider-Man 28. Yeah, we're not sure what that one's going to be, but we do know that it's got a 150, so... I don't think anybody dies. Uh, maybe not. Maybe somebody's resurrected. Who knows? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> uh, over at DC, we have Harley Quinn number 31. Again, that one's got an incentive cover of 1 in 50 featuring the artwork of Sweeney Boo. A very bonkers yeah. looking cover. And a, a uh, favorite of the podcast. We like Sweeney Boo over here, so very cool. Uh, again from DC, we have Action Comics number 1056. Yes, you've heard me correctly. 1056. <laughs> yeah, this one's got a cool variant cover by Maria Lara... Sonopo? Yes. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Will they ever do a volume two of Action Comics? Oh, probably no. not. So you will probably never hear us review an Action Comics. You never know. Crazier uh, things have After 1,056 issues, <laughs> um, Magic 8-Ball says probably not. Um, sticking with DC, we have Unstoppable Doom Patrol number four, which Dan and I will be picking up. Absolutely, yeah. We loved that first issue and the issues afterwards. This one's got a first appearance of Metal Woman. Yes, again, very bonkers cover for <laughs> that one. But then again, Doom Patrol covers are bonkers comics. So yeah, they should that makes, Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, going back to Marvel, we have... Thor number 35. Man, this one's got the origin of Hela. And speaking of bonkers covers, this one's such a cool cover. This is such a cool and creepy cover. It's just really, really nicely done. I love this and I cannot wait to get a copy of it. That is a very cool cover. Yes, I agree. I'm just not looking at it. <laughs> uh, sticking with Marvel, we have X-Men Before the Fall, Heralds of Apocalypse number one. This one's got the origin of... Areco? Yes, Areco. Areco. I'm not sure who that is, but 
all the X-Men tie-ins have been wonderful. Especially, you got this team here, the Heralds of Apocalypse. This will be a lot of fun. Can't if, wait to if, this if, one. if I'm not mistaken, is Areco the island? Krakoa's brother island or sister island? Ah, is it? Okay, okay, that would make sense. It might be. It might be. I don't know. I haven't read too much of the new X-Men run. I'll have to do my research. I don't remember. And then finally from Marvel, we have Carnage Reigns Omega Number 1. And this has the conclusion of the Carnage Reign story arc. So I think this will be the seventh installment, I believe, and the final one, I'm guessing. So very, very cool. Omega, the end. Those are the books that are coming out next week. Bob, let's spin this wheel let's. and see which book we're covering next week. Let's. Of course, we're using a randomized wheel over at wheelofnames.com. And our contestants are Creed, the next round, number one. Brynmore, number one. And oddly, sorry, The Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos, number one. That's a title. It sure as hell is. <laughs> let's spin this wheel and find out which one we're covering. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's spinning. God, I wish you guys could hear this wonderful, wonderful noise. Bob, you got your wish. We're sticking with Creed. Hey. We're gonna do Creed the next round, issue number one from Boom Studios next week. Watch your Creed. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and watch how many movies now? I, do I have to watch all the Rocky ones too to get there? Only the good ones. Oh man, well I don't know what those are, so <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Bob, that ends the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, please check us out on social media. We are at Instagram, A-N-A-D underscore number one comics podcast. On Twitter at A-N-A-D-N-O comic pod. TikTok, A-N-A-D number one comics pod. And we are on YouTube at the comic book channel. This and every week, you can be entered in our giveaway to win a copy of this $8.99 cover priced book. Come on, get it. If this is the only one you get in on, this is a 10 out of 10 and a very expensive newly released comic book. You're definitely going to want to use our hashtag all new, all different nation on a social media post of your choice to be entered to win a copy. Again, thank you guys so much and we'll see you next time. Yeah.